thought we'd get to know each other a little bit and uh, tell you my story. One morning, my mother was awakened by a knife being pressed up against her throat while she was taking a rest on a couch in a home. An intruder had come in through unlocked sliding glass doors. And as my mother, who was pregnant with me, uh, was awakened by this intruder, she began to pray. Now what's interesting about that is no one in my family uh, was a real committed gospel-believing, Jesus-following Christian, sort of nominally Christian like many Americans at that time. And, but she feared the Lord and she began to pray, asking that God would save her life so that the child within her would be safe. And as she was praying, uh, my dad, who was in another room uh, down the hall, was startled awake. And as his feet hit the floor, uh, the intruder got spooked and carefully pulled the knife away from her throat and ran out the back doors of the house. This is a story that my mother told me when I was about at the height of my rebellion uh, in my teenage years. You see, I'd grown up in the church. I attended the church in the morning on Sunday, at night on Sunday, on Wednesday night for family dinner, went on all the youth camps, went on all the things. But, but like me and, and for many of you here, you know it's possible to go to church but completely miss the point of it. That's what it was for me. I was there in body but not in spirit. I, I was there... Sort of paying attention, sort of playing along, but my character and my heart just was not in it. So about the time I, I, was, I was 16 to 18, I'd been doing some stupid stuff. I'd been out uh, basically partying and, and doing all the stuff I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing. And one night, I had stayed out late with my friends. I came home around 3 o'clock in the morning, thought that I would come home after my parents were in bed and wouldn't get caught. But my mom stayed up and I did get caught. And I went downstairs. My brother was like, dude, you're in so much trouble. And the next morning when I woke up, my dad called my, my brother and I out on the back porch for the talk. I don't know if any of you had the talk before. And since it's Father's Day, it's worth just remembering that my dad had the talk. And that was an important role that he had in my life. And he pulled us outside on the back porch. And he said this to me, a conversation that stuck with me. And it was a turning point in my life. And this is what he told me. He said, Ben, I'm the first believing man in this family. And I have anchored myself on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And he said, you and your brother are the first generation, the first link on the chain on that anchor. And he said, the choices that you're making now, the half-hearted pursuit that you have for the Lord. He says, you're going to break the chain. You're going to make these decisions about the rest of your life. You see, at that point in time, all I wanted to be was like my dad, who was a fireman. I wanted to be the hero that you read about in the Epoch Times. But God had been pulling and tugging on my heart and I knew that I had something to give up. I had to give up my dreams in order to understand what God's plan and purpose was going to be for my life. 
But I was clinging to my dream. I was clinging to this desire to be in the fire department, just like my dad. And he told me there on the porch in 1998, Thanksgiving, he said, he said, Ben, you're making choices. You're in control of your life. How are you going to understand God's purpose for you if you're the one who's in control? And I knew in an instant, in that moment, that the only way I was ever going to discover what God wanted me to do was to release my plans, to release my control of my life to Him so that He could begin to direct my steps. And for the first time in a long time that day, I began to repent, I began to confess, I began to get on my knees and to cry out to God for help, for forgiveness, for freedom. It wasn't long after that that I found myself visiting a friend who was attending a Bible college. And while I was there, I just felt this impression from the Spirit of God that I needed to be in that school as well. So I called my parents and said, I need to be here. That was in December. And in January, I started the school. And while I was there, people said, what are you doing here? I said, I have no idea. Just following the Lord. Like, what are you studying? I'm like, I don't know. It's a Bible college, probably the Bible. And while I was there... I began to learn and discover that, that, that my desires to be at the, at the, at the tip of the spear in, in rescuing people uh, from actual emergencies, from fire, from vehicle accidents, from medical emergencies, that that desire was actually translating into a spiritual sense to be part of what God was doing around the world in and through the local church and through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one lady that was a special friend of mine back in, when I was in school, one time she asked me when I was like 16, like, Ben, what are you going to do when you get older? And I said, I really want to go into the fire department. And she went, no, when are you going to stop putting fires out and start lighting them? Now, she wasn't talking about real fires. She was talking about the fire of the gospel in the heart of men and women. And by the grace of God, we've been able to do that together, my wife and I now, for almost 15 years, ministering side by side. And my kids following along. This is a significant trip for me because for years I get opportunity to go and speak. And I'm always like, man, it'd be so fun to take the family and, and we'll do it together. It's crazy, but it's great. Um, you know how that goes. So I have a, a, a word that I want to share with you uh, this morning. As I'd love to hear your stories of how you got here just wanted to say a special blessing uh, over your leaders and over your church. Uh, Crossing's life has been an encouragement to my life for a long time. I think we've been friends for almost 10 years, but maybe it's a little less than that at this point. And Sean and Steph have been an encouragement and role models in some sense for how you work together as a family, husband and wife together, with Jesus at the center, with the church at the center, it's been a real blessing to be friends with you guys. And it's an honor for me to be here and to see this in action. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to open the scriptures a bit together and hear what God has to say to us. Our gracious God, we pray before you this morning that you would open our eyes and give us the enlightenment from your spirit so that the word of Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. 
that we would be built up and rooted and established in your word so that our lives would look like the oaks of righteousness that you've called us to be, not swaying back and forth by every wind of doctrine and the cunning teachings of man and the philosophies of the world, but rooted on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Help us to be strong and stable in that, Lord. And help us to be honest this morning as we approach your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Question. What do you want people to say about you after you die? Not a fun topic to talk about our death. But maybe you want people to say that you were kind. Or that you had great glasses like Sean. Or maybe, maybe you had a, the, the best pickup truck in all of New Hampshire. Uh, yeah. uh, maybe you were fond or loving. You were a family man or family woman. Or, or that you were really successful in your career. You know, my wife and I, unfortunately, had an opportunity to attend several funerals over the past year. And both of them were believers. And both of their funerals went on for hours. And the open mics and people were just coming up and giving stories and testimonies about who they were and the the type of life that they lived. And it was amazing. And while I was sitting there listening to them, I began to think to myself, you know, it's probably a good idea to begin to live right now the kind of life that I want people to talk about then. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you know there's things in your life you, you want to change, but you, you know that you got time to change it. But while I was sitting there at the funeral, I said, what happened if I die if I'm, I'm 42 and a friend of mine died when they were 50, left five kids, and the other one died when they were my age and left their three kids, I believe. And I thought, what if this is it? What if the period at the end of my life is right here and this is all that I had? What in the world would I want God to change in me? I want to be the kind of man that they talk about then, now. You see, I have a problem, and maybe you can relate, and I'll talk to the guys for a second, but ladies, follow along if possible. I got a, man as a, pro- I got a problem as a man. I got problems as a husband. I got problems as a father, as a leader of a church, and as a friend. And the quarantines over the past couple of years Help me to really see and discern those problems and those issues. Whether I was sick or someone in my family was sick or I was forced to stay inside for another round of somebody's got it. Now we got to wait so we can get out of this thing. I began to discover day after day, choice after choice, that God was going to keep me in the cycle until I started to pay attention to the lessons that he was trying to teach I was approaching my life asking God, what's next? What's the future? How, what's the next chapter for my story? And every time I asked that, it felt like God in his finger was just pointing at me back. I'm asking God, like, where's your finger pointing forward? And his finger kept going like this. Right back at the heart. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with my heart. I want to know what's next. Then we'll deal with the heart. But I, I want to know where we're headed. And he said, no, you have to discover what's going on in your heart. Because COVID and many other things became an excuse for me to take the easy way out. 
Now, we were all celebrating our freedom in Christ. I don't know how many of you can relate to the opportunity that we often take to not express our freedom in Christ, but to take the easy way out, to not choose the hard road of discipleship. I found myself over and over again doing the minimum rather than going over the top for the Lord, just doing the minimum, just saying the basic prayers, just doing the little things, but not going deep. I found myself wanting to escape reality, turning on another podcast, watching another show, grazing for one more bowl of cereal as you pass through the kitchen again because your office was a kitchen table and you just couldn't stop eating all day. Those things that are meant to be enjoyed in moderation. Those things in life that are meant to be secondary pursuits over time for me started to become primary. The rights that I was unwilling to give up. I don't know if you've ever been like that, where your heart has been convinced that what's secondary is actually most important. You know, what's the shame about it is you got all this extra time with your family or your kids, or maybe you're alone. You got extra time to be with the Lord. But we wind up just filling up every waking moment with podcasts and endless binge TV series and music that never stops flowing. And what winds up happening is we lose our capacity to be still before the living God. Well, what I discovered in myself is that when I prioritized what made me feel good, you would think that in a few weeks or a few months, you would really be loving your life. But the reality is the exact opposite thing happens. I got envious. I feel bitterness. I get angry over dumb stuff. And I find out that every time I woke up, it wasn't like, now I get an opportunity to be with the Lord. Every time I woke up, it was like, where's my phone? Where's the next thing? How am I going to fill my mind, keep my mind off of this nagging, this nagging feeling that I can't sit still anymore, that I can't just enjoy sitting quietly and being with the kids. There's always got to be the next thing, this other thing. And then it hit me. God brought this scripture to my mind. It's in Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read it for you. Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn to it. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. When I read that scripture and I was reminded, I was thinking about my life, this is what came to mind. Bad habits will create a bad heart. Bad habits will shape and form inside of you those same indulgent tendencies. And until we begin to address the desires of the heart, the habits of the mind and the body, we will stay the same. We will stay plateaued and declining in our faith and things will get progressively worse over time. When I die, I, won't, I don't want people to talk about how, man, remember how Ben was so good at listening to the news and then getting sort of ticked off about it? Like, that's not the legacy you want to live. Hey, remember how dad used to walk around with like one earbud in, always listening to something? You never really knew if he was paying attention or not. No, never wanted to. Hey, remember how Ben was kind of slow to get out of bed? Didn't have any energy in the mornings because he stayed up late doing stuff that was dumb. Like, who wants that to be their legacy? Who wants that to be their reputation? Yet, it's sort of characteristic for many of us in our generation, many of us in our culture, Because bad habits create a bad heart. And until we're willing to address the issue of what we desire, what brings us joy, we're not going to find ourselves being changed. Listen, what delights you, what brings you joy is shaping you. What you find to be the best part of your life is turning you in to a certain kind of person. And God in his word says that he delights in you. God delights in you. And the invitation for each of us is to say, is to learn and to ask ourselves, are we willing to make God our delight Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Your choice is to delight yourself in the Lord, and God's blessing is, He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight means to find joy in connection with an experience It's the source of your happiness and your motivation in life. And I love that delight has the word light in it. And maybe you can think this question. What brings light to your soul? Who brings light to your soul and peace to your mind? Is it the Lord? Is God the source of our delight? A few passages of scripture for us to think about in this. That God is the source of delight. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this. After God had created all the good things, he said, And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day, you were made by God. And when he saw his creation, when he saw people, he said that it was very good. 
It was very good. God enjoyed creating. He enjoyed his creation. It's something that brings him joy. And God's delight in his people has always been there from the very beginning. Another scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9. For the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. This is a, a chapter forward from creation now in, this, in Deuteronomy. And we see that God is the source of delight. It says that he, he speaks of delighting in helping open doors for you to prosper in your life. This is what we can learn from Deuteronomy 30. Because that's an old book in case you're wondering. That God, historically speaking, we can count on God to take delight in prospering his people. God has a history of blessing his people. And it's something that you can count on as you walk in obedience to his teachings. He loves to pour out his generosity upon you. And in case you think I'm talking about money, I'm not. I'm talking about the gift of his glory in your life with increasing measure. God loves to lavish grace, lavish his glory, lavish his presence on his people as they live their lives in obedience, surrender to him. You can count on him to show up in your life from Deuteronomy to today. Isaiah chapter 62 says this, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness in all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you. In Deuteronomy 30, we learn that the Lord is speaking about a people. And now in Isaiah chapter 62, we hear the Lord speaking about a place, Jerusalem. Notice the Lord taking the initiative. Notice the Lord taking the, the movement, the, making the commitment to move this, this project forward. He speaks with authority. He says, you shall be. You shall be. And you shall not be. The Lord delights in Jerusalem. And he demonstrates his delight by making noise. Bringing about the full potential of a place. He, he delights in giving his people a new name. Changing their reputation. Reversing their fortunes. He redeems. He makes it more beautiful. And he makes a lifelong commitment. He says, I'm going to marry you. We're going to be married. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together, Jerusalem and me. 
And I can't help but hear the word Jerusalem, knowing that the church is part of the new Jerusalem. I can't help about thinking about the people of God when we read this passage, that the church shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. That the church shall no longer be called forsaken. That the, the church will no longer be termed desolate. But that God will look at his church and say, my delight is in her. That's what it means to be part of the people of God. That God delights in us as he brings about our full potential in him. If we are willing to make the Lord our heart's desire. Psalm chapter 18, the last one I have to say, it says, He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. This is a psalm written by David as he was being pursued uh, by his political nemesis, his father-in-law, and the king Saul of Israel. And he was being pursued by Saul. He was, life was being threatened. He had to dodge the spear on a number of occasions as they were trying to assassinate him. And David's rescue of Saul, it says, was motivated by God's delight. Just remember this when you think about yourself. And I don't know if you're a fully, like, fully excited and energized disciple of Jesus here today, or maybe you're like on the edge waiting to make a decision. It doesn't matter for anybody on wherever we find ourselves on the continuum of God's redemption. You can be sure of this. God loves to redeem you. He loves it. He, he's not begrudged. He doesn't look at you in your sin and in your isolation and your depression and your anxiety. He doesn't look at you and be like, seriously, again? Like, seriously, again, you're going to call out to me again about this? No, God delights in rescuing his people. And you know what? I think for some of us that might go to our head. This was sort of like a narcissistic highly individualized culture. We like to think a lot about ourselves. We're like, yeah, God should save me. I'm of great value in the kingdom. Just imagine me and all my potential in God's kingdom. No, that's not actually why he's doing it. It's because God is so great. It's because he's such a, an amazing, redeeming, rescuing dad. This Redemption, the salvation that we have, the only proper reaction is worship. It's not pride. I'm so great. God, you should save me. No, no. It's like, God, I'm nobody in your kingdom. You're amazing. And it's in that place when we learn to say, God's here. We're here. That we learn to shed off our pride and we learn to claim the prize. The delight of the Lord. You know what's crazy about the delight of the Lord? No one can take it from you. Your wife can't take it from you. Your kids can't steal that joy. Even if there's no money in the bank, no, that, that, that won't affect it. Because the presence of the Lord is, is unstoppable. You could be in prison. You could be tortured. And it's still there. God is everywhere and he can help. So let me just recap what we said so we can remember all of these promises today. God delights in you. He created you. 
He has a history of prospering his people. He's the one who takes initiative to bring about your full potential. And he is making you beautiful in his sight. The rescue of God's people is driven by his delight in them. God delights in his people. The question for us this morning is, do we delight in God? There's a man in my uh, church. He's a friend of our church. His name is Neo. And it's fitting to tell a father story on Father's Day about my man, Neo. I've known Neo for several years. And we've been the recipients of much of his transformation. But I want to tell you a little of the story of how he was transformed. Neo, I think, is from the Bronx. Uh, spent his life on the streets. Uh, he's a uh, pretty classic drug addict who's got like n- no teeth, uh, talks really fast, uh, sort of like Puerto Rican. And uh, he grew up in the crack era in New York City, uh, transitioned to heroin, somehow found himself in York City. I don't live in New York. I live in Old York in Pennsylvania, uh, and he, he was there, and he became pretty famous on the streets for being a party cat and a drug user and a, and a drug dealer. And uh, a man who was a believer uh, was a part of his transformation, who was a prison guard, who was sharing the gospel with him when he was going through his intake and his strip search. And uh, this little interesting thing happened where he began to be transformed um, as he became sober, the Spirit of God began to fill him up. And uh, Neo, in order for him to keep Jesus in the forefront of his mind, he has to wake up in order to keep a, a distance from his addiction. He has to wake up and renew his mind for a couple hours every morning. Sort of his routine for how he keeps God as his delight. And he listens to music and he goes for, for runs around the city and he's singing and he's praying. And everywhere he goes, he's sharing Christ because he needs to keep Jesus in the front of his mind because that's a part of his healing. And anyway, I, all that to set up so you could hear this. Neil had a couple of kids that he wasn't able to be a good dad for, which happens when you're an addict and you're stuck in a certain lifestyle. You don't always get to fulfill all of your duties all of those sacred tasks that the Lord puts before you. But as a child of God, as someone who's experienced transformation, the other night we had a birthday party at our house and we were outside sharing and we were going around. It was Neo's birthday and another young lady's birthday in the church. And as I was sharing about him, we were speaking words of blessing over people. And I was saying, Neo, you are like a spiritual father to so many people. Everywhere you go, the joy of the Lord just sort of like comes out and oozes and sprays all over the people. It's impossible to meet him and not to be encouraged, to be built up, to be reminded that God is God of love. Uh, because Neo has been reconnected uh, with the Lord, Neo is now able to be a spiritual father figure to many, many people. When you think about Neo and you remember his story, I want you to think about a few practices because you might be here today saying, I want more delight. I want to delight myself in the Lord. How in the world can I go about getting that done this week, this day? The first is this meditation, putting the word of God. It says in Psalm chapter one, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and all in his law. He meditates day and night. The people who make the Lord their delight, 
make delighting the Word of God one of their practices on a daily level. They don't read the Word as an exercise of intellect. They read the Word as source material for joy. Delighting to know and understand God's Word. That's the first practice that can lead you to the light. The second practice is shouting for joy. Shouting for joy. And I like Josiah because he ain't afraid to shout for joy and talking, but it's true. Let those who delight in God's righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. That's in Psalm 35. Why don't we all just practice together? Let's say it and shout it together. Great is the Lord. Now listen, he delights, he delights in the welfare of all of you. Do you know this? When we say great is the Lord, God is like, yes, I am going to open doors for you. Like, yes, I'm going to fill you with my presence. Yes, I'm going to take away the lingering effects of that sin and shame. This is the things he does for us. There is a connection between what you do and how you worship in private and your experience of God's presence throughout the day. You know this, right? You know that it's one thing to dance here on the floor when the band's in like good time. And you got, what's your name, dude? Brian's up there. He's got like the cool moves. Yeah, he's up there. I was watching. I was like, I can't do that. I'm more like Steve and I have like make a joyful, heavy breathing sound as you spin around in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> but whether you dance or whether you sing, it doesn't matter. What matters is that God gave you a body, and here's the key. You have to use your body. The Spirit is not just the intellectual practice. We have to use our bodies. We read the Word out loud. We shout the Word of God out loud. We shout for joy that our God is great to dispel the darkness, to remind ourselves that we are children of God. There's a connection between singing feeling good, and motivating your will toward obedience. And one of the reasons we disobey and one of the reasons we stay in our sin is that we're just not embodied. We're trying too hard to think our way out of problems when we need to begin to act our way out of them. The first one is meditation. The second is shouting for joy. The third is blameless ways. If you want to delight yourself in the Lord, you have to make a decision. Am I going to live a blameless life? Because God isn't going to hang out where there's darkness and deceit and hidden sin and all the disgusting stuff our brains and our hearts can come up with. It says this in Proverbs 11. Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are His delight. So if you're wondering, does God really want me to give it up? Yes. It's not a hard decision. He does. Those are the whispers and sometimes knocks of the spirit. Chuck, you're funny, man. Like giving the head knock. But sometimes that's required for the hard-headed people. The last one is this. Honest lips. We meditate. We shout for joy. We practice blameless living. And the last is we have honest lips. Lying lips, it says, are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If you had the desires of your heart, then everything would be different. 
I think for many of us, we strive after the wind. We get done with a project and we go, what's the next project? We're always looking for what's next. And God is looking to invite you into his rest. And his rest comes when the delight of the Lord, the presence of the God, becomes the thing that we just can't live without. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of your invitation that there is no joy like you in our lives. Whether we have the band and and the, and the, the preaching of the word or we're alone in our room, in our darkness, in our despair, we know that your love penetrates the darkness We pray, God, that you would help us this morning to remember, to be refreshed, and to learn once again what it means to make you our everything, uh, the delight of our soul. Help us, God, we pray. Free us in the power of Jesus' name to be cleansed and washed by the blood of the Son so that we can live in the freedom, in the rest of your presence in our lives. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.